When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Jen. I'm Natalie. I'm Ginny. And we are the Art History Babes. <laughs> We're back. We're together again. In the same room. We're in the same room for the first time in how long has it been? Like a year and a half? Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. Uh, shout out to a uh, global pandemic. <laughs> yeah. That's what happened. <laughs> That's what happened, and it's still <laughs> technically happening, even though I think people like to talk about it in the past tense. But, know. you know, that's just for our own collective mm-hmm. sanity. Sanity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How's everybody doing today? Pretty good. <laughs> I'm sitting on a yoga ball, which I feel like is forcing good posture, and mm-hmm. hence I'm projecting from my diaphragm. Your diaphragm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm proud it's of you. It's always good to Thank do you. on mic. <laughs> I typically think I have pretty good posture. My grandma always used to be like, Ginny. Um, so I think I like to think I have pretty good posture, but mm-hmm. it's always something you can work on. One time I have a niece who's real surly. She's a teenager. It's <laughs> not a word I hear used often. Well, it's a word to describe her. And she <laughs> slouches a lot. And I kind of came up behind her one time, just sort of like poked her back like in between her shoulder blades and was like you should stand up straight and she was like (gasps) like very offended and upset that i said that and then i was like oh i'm turning into an old lady yeah yeah and i was like i'm so sorry immediately (laughs) does she have um large boobs no okay because i i know a lot of time like when you have bigger boobs and you're a teen kind of like you can kind of be like oh don't look at me (laughs) oh yeah but um no you know it's just a teen thing just a teen thing Mm -hmm. anyway so speaking of feeling old (laughs) do tell oh boy well we've been having just kicking around a lot of ideas for episodes and uh it came to me in a moment of nostalgia and feeling old thinking about toys and sort of this new not that new but this sort of thing that i've been on where i'm I'm kind of going through and buying old vintage toys from my childhood like old poly pockets that my mom threw vintage. away when yeah. i moved out because mm-hmm. she's mean and um and so now i'm i'm really just i'm back into the the love of toys and we were talking about toys and why it is that we just tend to love on these little these little guys our little mm-hmm. guys mm-hmm, that we mm-hmm. just have kept throughout our lives and now i feel as though in my 30s solidly i can say that i will never grow out of loving toys and a little guy <laughs> 
You don't need to. (laughs) You never need to outgrow that. But yeah, the inspiration for this episode was this post, this Twitter post, where it's a 1,500-year-old ceramic Maya figurine with removable helmet, and someone retweeted it and said, since the dawn of time, people have wanted other people to check out the little guy they made. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's so sweet. And so I thought we should talk about toys and the little guys that we have made. (laughs) Toys have been around as long as we've been around. It turns out it's an instinctly human desire is to play and using your imagination to create a toy, a, a, a little companion figurine. So the origin of toys is prehistoric and throughout Uh, the archaeological record we find dolls representing infants or animals uh, soldiers also interestingly representations of tools that would be used by adults but are more crude and maybe smaller indicating their use by children in an imitative fashion and so this is found at many archaeological sites throughout the world And it makes sense because playing with toys is an important part of growing up and just learning about the world around us. So younger children use toys uh, to discover toys. Playing with toys is innately a process of discovery, discovering identity, helping with uh, cognition, motor skills, learning things like cause and effect, exploring relationships, even becoming stronger physically, and ultimately practicing skills needed in adulthood. So when you think of toys like that, it makes sense. I mean, who didn't have their little kitchenette set or your little doctor's set? That that was my favorite as a kid. Doctor set. I (laughs) always had my little plastic stethoscope and I was playing doctor with all of my toys. Yeah. My parents were like, please be a doctor. But then I was like, no, I'm going to study art history. (laughs) Joke's on you. (laughs) Joke's on me. Um, So... Anyway, playing with toys, so it follows two main directions. Those are imitative and instructive. We believe that the earliest types of play probably developed from the instinct for self-preservation. And so in many human cultures, that would mean that the first things taught to the young was the use of weapons. Um, So a simple stick or club would serve as the prototype of later military instruments of play, such as swords or guns. But the earliest toys were made from materials found in nature, literally rocks, sticks, clay, mud. Mud toys. Who doesn't love playing in the mud? (laughs) Thousands of years ago, Egyptian children played with dolls. Um, And these dolls were actually kind of cool. They had... um, wigs like movable limbs and would be made from stone pottery and wood toys excavated from the indus valley civilization so we're talking 3000 to 1500 bce these would be representations of like small carts or whistles that were shaped like birds so you know you, a bird makes a, a whistle sound. right? And even, I would love to see this. I couldn't find any pictures of it, but toy monkeys that would slide up and down a string. That's cute. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> and so, yeah, objects with human and animal forms that may have been toys uh, have been found in deposits from ancient Sumer dating back to 2600 BCE. Uh, we know that the ancient Greek and Roman peoples, their children played with dolls made of wax or terracotta, sticks, bows and arrows, um, and yo-yos, which the yo-yo ends up being one of the oldest toys a lot of the archaeological record dates the yo-yo back to at least 500 BCE, but some say it may even be as old as 3000 BCE found in China. Mm -hmm. And so we know then that toys have been around for a long, long time. And so let's talk a little bit about some of the earliest toys. Amongst the earliest known toys are very simple, small stone or clay balls or marbles. And so we have at least one example of toy marbles found in children's graves in Nagada, Egypt, dating all the way back to 4000 BCE. Also, the ball. The ball, possibly the oldest toy in human history, and it's just a form that would appeal to humans. It's a circle. It's a ball. (laughs) It rolls around. You can pick it up. You can throw it. You can kick it. And so many forms of gameplay requiring physical exertion uh, would date back all the way to prehistoric times. And like I said, it makes sense. It's a rolling object that would appeal not just to like a human baby, but also like animals, you know, like a a kitten or a puppy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so that might go a long way in maybe the domestication Domestication? Domestication? Domestication. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I it. put an F in there that did not belong. <laughs> but it kind of felt right. It. This is my speculation, but I'm just thinking <laughs> that a ball might appeal to a puppy, maybe helping domesticate some of these companion animals. I don't know. Balls turn Fairies. wolves into dogs. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> if you're ever in the forest and you see a wolf... Just don't th- run away just throw a ball at it <laughs> i actually uh met a guy recently who had a pet wolf and like not condoning this did not Scary. think it was like cool what? necessarily but it was a cool animal like how did he get that out in the like in the wilderness like el dorado hills area um yeah, yeah i mean yeah. you know just the way Whoa. that you get any other Mm-hmm. exotic animal but i met her i had to pick my parents up from this dude's house and it, she was like a white wolf and just like a little bit bigger than a dog kind of kind of look like a husky but you like knew it wasn't and uh, my mom and I were talking about it later and the big tell was that you could tell it was like a very uh, controlled animal like it was controlling Mm. itself like it wasn't like all up on you like a dog it gets friendly it Mm -hmm. was like it would come up to you but like very slowly like it yeah when you really thought about it you're like oh yeah this is a wild animal (laughs) yeah it was crazy. That's scary. That's nuts. <laughs> anyway, so I'll ask if she plays with balls. Oh my gosh, yes. Please find out because I, <laughs> I want to know. Yeah, so ancient toy, the ball. And the ball was used in both sacred and secular games, and which is an interesting concept. Just the idea that like, we'll talk about this a little bit more in a second, but the difficulty differentiating between uh, sacred objects and objects of play we'll get there but so yeah these ancient ancient balls um they were a lot of them were made of hair filled leather in uh what is 
the area of Eurasia. But around 2000 BCE, we believe that the the Mesoamerican peoples, what is now known as Mexico and Central America, developed rubber balls. And this makes sense because this is the low-lying tropical zones of this area uh, is home to the rubber tree. And um, so that hard rubber ball would have been employed in the popular Mesoamerican ball game, which was observed as a game among like the Olmec, um, which their name, Olmec, the name was given to them by later cultures. The Aztec named them the Olmec, which translates to the rubber people. And Mm. so this rubber ball then is a very significant object in Mesoamerican culture and would have been used in the popular ball game, which involved shooting a very hard rubber ball into a small hoop that is really high up and uh, using a variety of methods, the most popular of which is shooting the ball into the hoop using only the hips. Right. Which Which is wild. Which is wild and super dangerous, actually. And, like, Mm -hmm. people would die. Yeah. (laughs) You just, like, hit an organ or something. Yeah, you can, like, burst your intestines. Like, it sounds... That doesn't sound like very much fun. Basically, like a little rubber bullet that you're just like whipping around <laughs> with your body. Yeah, just like hoping that it hits like the the yoke that you're wearing <laughs> and not like your spleen. <laughs> um, so there's a wide, wide period of time between the development of some of these like ancient toys and games, toys such as the ball, the yo-yo, the doll, etc. And until we come up into the Enlightenment era, something happened. Obviously everyone got enlightened. That's obviously that's what happened. Yeah. But <laughs> toys become more widespread in this time because suddenly there's a changing attitude towards children which is pretty interesting but children during the enlightenment period children begin to be seen as people yikes in and of themselves um as opposed to like say extensions of the household Mm -hmm. children are regarded as having the right to flourish and enjoy childhood. So the notion of childhood is a relatively new notion, at least in like our Western culture. Yeah, I think too, there's a there's a class element to this though, because mm. there was a lot of child labor. Oh, absolutely. After this, so it's like oh, those seven year olds were working away in the it, factories. Yeah. Rich kids got, got to have a childhood. Yeah, <laughs> kids of means got to have a childhood, but um, a lot of children were still very much re- just regarded as li- little bodies. Just smaller um, bodies. That smaller bodies for labor. Can you know? fit their little hands into <laughs> machine gears and things <laughs> of that nature. Yeah. Yeah. Enlightenment era and then moving into the 18th century a variety and number of toys begin to be manufactured john spillsbury love that name invented the first jigsaw puzzle in 1767 shouts out to spillsbury puzzles that is i got many a puzzle from spillsbury puzzles in early 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 pandemic yeah Got some some nice. I still get nice ma- like magazines from them. <laughs> That's awesome. Full of puzzles. <laughs> I love a puzzle. Yeah, the first jigsaw puzzle was developed to help children learn geography, and so Spillsbury created puzzles on eight themes, um, which 
are just different parts of the world. So the theme of the world, there's also Europe, Asia, Africa, America, England and Wales, Ireland and Scotland. Um, So uh, jigsaw puzzles come to be in the 18th century. The rocking horse was developed around the same time in England. And of course, it was a huge hit with the wealthy because the equestrian culture is a big one. Mm -hmm. And it was thought to help develop children's balance for later riding on real horses. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. you want your kid to be able to ride around on a horse in the 18th century. You can't have that kid (laughs) embarrassing you. (laughs) And then, you know, just other popular pastimes, blowing bubbles from leftover washing up soap. That becomes a popular pastime. Um, The painting The Soap Bubble by Jean-Baptiste Simeon Chardin. I'm doing... A, a good job there. That was With, a good job. <laughs> thank you. Shows a young fellow blowing a little a, a little bubble. There's a cute kid in the back sort of looking at him like, what you doing? I um, like that. Yeah. So this is around the time that lots of popular toys are developed. Hoops, toy wagons, kites, although kites are quite old, but they get a new take in this 18th century period and things like puppets and spinning wheels and and those kinds of toys that require a lot of, you know, manual uh, propulsion. Yeah, so moving forward in the 19th century, a lot of emphasis is put on toys that had an educational purpose to them. So we already talked about puzzles, but things like books and cards and and board games. So books there is doing a lot of work because like, obviously, we've had books, but the idea of like books for children, right, um, Mm -hmm. starts to really become popular in the 19th century. Religious themed toys were also popular of really popular one is a model of noah's ark with little miniature animals Mm -hmm. um, and objects from other bible scenes and so with the growing prosperity among the middle class children had more leisure time on their hands and uh, eventually this leads to the application of industrial methods to the manufacture of toys and so yeah with mass production uh, toys really become a lucrative market in 1817 the kaleidoscope begins to be mass produced which i love a kaleidoscope Mm -hmm. kaleidoscope. um the zoetrope which was invented in 1833 by a british mathematician william george horner that was popularized in the 1860s and then always things like dolls wooden porcelain dolls miniature doll houses those become very popular with the middle class girls and boys playing with marbles and toy trains and really once we hit the 20th century that is really the golden age of toy development yeah wages are rising steadily in the western world so even working class families at this point are able to afford toys for their children and industrial techniques of precision engineering mass production this was all able to provide the supply to meet this rising demand for toys um so there's more and more intellectual emphasis is going towards the idea that it is very important for the development of a human to have 
a wholesome, happy childhood. And so the idea of child development and uh, enrichment of childhood experience takes off around the same time of this mass industrialized toy industry. And nothing drove that than more than the invention of plasticine in 1897, the modern precursor to plastic. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. once plastic hits the scene, it's all over. For in a lot of ways, it's all over. But <laughs> in many ways, um, but <laughs> lots of toys are able to be developed. One thing I find really interesting is how toys reflect like human technology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so like, for instance, there's this little example that I have right here of a little horse on wheels. This is an ancient Greek children's toy. It was found in a tomb around 950 BCE in Athens. This toy is, interestingly, it reflects like the actual mechanism of a wheeled cart. Um, and we know that the cart was usually drawn by a single animal. It was known to have been in use by the Greeks and the Assyrians at least as far back as 1800 BCE, although it it could be older, but it's an extension of the invention of the wheel. So toys start to have wheels and moving around, going way, way, way forward into human history. Things like trains become mainstream and popular in the 1800s. So suddenly the toy train set is uh, just super popular. Everybody wants one. And later on in the 20th century, when cars become ubiquitous, toy cars become the craze. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of brings us to culture. So what kind of toys are valued in different cultures. So it, it, it embodies a lot, but what we're thinking of are values. So the values that are set forth by adults in a specific community, that will then play out in children's play. So a toy is going to reflect the values of the community, but through the lens of a child's perspective. And so within those societies, toys are a medium to not just enhance, you know, cognitive skill, but also social and linguistic learning. In some cultures, you have toys that are used to enhance a child's skill set within those traditional boundaries, specifically your future roles in the community. So in like sub-Saharan and northern African cultures, play is going to be focused around enacting scenes that are recognizable in the community, such as hunting, herding, placing value on realistic versions of development and preparing a child for the future that they're likely to grow up into. So yeah, you're going to be thinking about horses or camels or whatever is the popular, I don't want to say economy, but maybe like what, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so that allows your child to imagine and create like a personal interpretation of how they view the adult world. Mm -hmm. That's kind of cool. It is. It it also, it's kind of sad too. Um, I read this one specific story about in ancient Greece, young girls um, as young as 14 on the eve of their wedding would bring their dolls to the temple and leave their dolls as as a ceremonial offering to mm. whatever you know goddess 
of fertility or domesticity because now they're an adult and right. mm-hmm. which i think is fucked up but that is <laughs> it is i feel did anyone watch a uh, handmaid's tale no i didn't but yeah it, it was a very dark show not a lot like not a, a lot of people that i know watched it but they did because that was like kind of part of it was mm. in the restructuring of this new city state whatever it was they had child brides and so they would have like 13 14 year olds like talking about being a wife and like domesticity but like clearly from the perspective of a child yeah i feel like they did a good job of that in show and it's just like yeah it's just like a knife to the gut just like uh um i can't deal with it yeah like they're babies (laughs) they're babies Yeah. yeah in other cultures Toys are often used to expand the development of a child's cognition in an idealistic fashion. So this is interesting because in these communities, it's adults placing the value of play with toys that can be um, seen as aspirations that they're setting forth for their child. So like me getting all these like doctor, doctor and nurse <laughs> like sets as a kid just like my parents really like oh i hope school, she's gonna Jen. be a doctor it's like mm, you thought but in western culture specifically we see things like the barbie or like the gi joe representing these lifelike figures that are you know imaginative they're out of reach completely from the society of these children and the adults because no one is gonna be barbie or gi joe that is just not realistic but the toys are given to sort of place these societal constraints like on a child giving them an idealized version of what their development in life could be so that's all very loaded and we can talk about it but hoping that you're going to instill some kind of like really strong ideal one way or another Mm -hmm. masculine or feminine or etc um based on the toys Hmm. that your kids are playing with yeah so in addition from uh children from different communities will treat their toys in different ways based on cultural practices noticing that children in more affluent communities may tend to be more possessive of their toys while children from poorer communities are more willing to share and interact with other children Mm -hmm. and so the importance the child places on possession is dictated by the values in place within their specific community that those children observe on a daily basis. I think that could uh, that concept could lead into a very potentially tense conversation about children and like gift culture and like Christmas culture. Mm-hmm. Like watching the way children mm. are in yeah. American society with like celebrations where they are expecting to get presence and and how it is so clearly shaped by capitalist materialism and Mm -hmm. having the thing and having the thing and always needing more of the things is a very interesting phenomenon it is I i know like as like American culture doesn't take enough time to sit with what's actually going on there yeah. with those kids, yeah. you know, and what we're instilling in them at yeah. that point. <laughs> and, yeah. And like the whole performative nature of like kids oh, opening yeah. gifts where like I remember kid parties and just like watching, 
you know, a kid open a bunch of gifts yeah. and you're all just sitting there and you're like, wow, we all must watch this. And it was boring. It was dull. Yeah. <laughs> but it was just what you did. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, um, and it's definitely something, you know, I even as a kid and like, I didn't grow up with money, but like, I still got the Christmas presents. Yeah. I still, you know, did the whole thing. And it yeah. was, it was really important. It was really important to get the toys you wanted. And it was like really, oh, it for real. felt, it felt dire and then i i've seen that play out in children that exist in my own life too and it's like i think we kind of play it out cyclically in u.s culture because parents want to want to make sure their children are having a good life and they want to give them the things that they want and so it comes from like this good place but it is also just regurgitating our obsession with materialism in a certain way if there isn't like a balance between you know gift giving and 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 i think you can also you know santa has a lot to do with that too yeah like, oh, that one is so conflicting because it's like to have yeah. kids now you have to decide whether you want to stick with that tradition mm-hmm. that like clearly we can see all the flaws with that there's a lot of story them. um and what it's become but if you do that, you rob your child of this experience and you know what I mean? There's Yo. like no winning. Oof. Yeah, it's it's the acquisition of toys as a child, I think, is a yeah, an interesting representation of just um once again, class, culture, like mm-hmm. what our American values are, you know. Yeah. For sure. And that is going to be something that is going to like lead into an adulthood of feeling like you need to have all the things mm-hmm. and and also expressing love through gift and gift yes. alone. Like yeah. if I don't buy you things, I don't love you. If you don't buy me things, you don't love me, you know? <laughs> I know. That's why I've always been a little conflicted about like the five love languages mm-hmm. and like the love language of like uh receiving mm-hmm. gifts. Yeah. I've always been kind of like yeah. really but that's your <laughs> love language. Have you no, have you met anyone who has that? Cuz I have and it's it's hard to I mean, at least personally, it's hard to connect. Yeah, I'm I can't but and it's the, real it's real for them i know and like, oh i love receiving gifts. yeah don't, don't get, get me wrong, wrong. Right. like love getting a gift <laughs> yeah like, <laughs> but that's not my love language no, my love li- like, i've always i mean this is it's going on a tangent but like i need those words of affirmation and i need those acts of service like that. I, need, <laughs> I need physical physical affection like and yeah words of affirmations a pretty mm-hmm. big one. honestly yeah. i mean i think i need all of them yeah. i need all of them <laughs> yeah. but gifts is the one that i can do, I can do without, without like, yeah that's also i've thought about yeah we're on a tangent now but that that's how i've thought about because it has become a cultural like what's your love language which i think is a great conversation to have especially within inter- intimate relationships it can be a very fruitful conversation but i think we've done what humans do and so we've now turned it into boxes mm-hmm. and it's like this is my love language this is mine and it's mm-hmm. like at the end of the day i think everyone all of them are pretty nice yeah all of them are nice and everyone's gonna kind of have you know some response to all of them and like yeah they're all ways to show you care about someone and mm-hmm. so like separating them into I am this type of person and you are that type of person I think is kind of getting away from the point which Mm -hmm. the point is communicating your needs right like yes like that's the point (laughs) right but I think this is a really interesting part of the the toys conversation is not just the toys that are given 
to the children uh, reflecting like societal expectations of those children, but then also how their play reflects back the values of the society and like Mm -hmm. thinking about yeah like things like kids that can't share like they have trouble sharing like um how that is something seen in more affluent communities is really interesting to me it's also that connects into yeah adult american culture I was having a conversation with a friend of mine recently and like I'm, you know, I'm in the service industry as is he and you will witness a lot of the time when it comes like tipping, a lot of the more wealthy people like don't Mm -hmm. tip as well. Mm -hmm. I feel crazy when I think about (laughs) that. Yeah. I mean, some of them do, you know, there's also you'll occasionally get the crazy wealthy person who's handing out a hundred dollar bills like that happens, you know, Uh it's amazing and wonderful that people use their wealth that way. But you're going to consistently probably get better tips from people who are closer to Mm. your like class range, which is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And it's I think there is just a deep like how we look at our resources and how we hold possession over them. That is represented by by these different realities like these different class realities. And yeah, those are going to play out in even as children, how we play with the things we have, how Mm -hmm. we take possession over the things we have, you know? For sure. Let's take a break. Gird your loins. (laughs) We're going on an ad break. (laughs) We'll be right back. Hello. We are here. We're back. Hope you enjoyed those um, ads. <laughs> I bet they were great. I hope they were. Shouts out to our sponsors for making the art history babes possible. We love you. We appreciate you. Thank mm-hmm. you. Also, mm-hmm. if you want to continue to make the art history babes possible, check out Patreon. Patreon.com slash art history babes. Check it out. Throw us a few nickels, you know? <laughs> yes. You Nicky Nicks. I'll take a nickel. Nickels are my favorite. <laughs> Uh, coin. (laughs) (laughs) All right. right. We're talking toys and play and all kinds of interesting things. Yes. Yeah. Man, toys are great. (laughs) True. true. I don't think truer words have been spoken. Toys are great, man. And like play itself, toys serve multiple purposes in both humans and animals. They provide entertainment. And fulfill an educational role. But yeah, toys are really important. They enhance your cognitive behavior. They stimulate creativity. And they do aid in the development of physical and mental skills in children, which are necessary later in life. You know, one of the simplest toys, the a set of simple wooden blocks, um, are also like the best toys for developing minds, according to a lot of people. According to the Waldorf School people... They love a, a, a block set. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, the Andrew Whitkin, who he's a director of marketing for Mega Brands, which I mean, that's a, quite the name. That, you know? yeah. But um, they are a toy, toy developer and they develop some of the like most popular, you know, wood block sets. He told Investors Business Daily that they help develop hand-eye coordination, math and science skills, and also let kids be creative. And yeah, I love a set of blocks. You know, who doesn't? Other toys, marbles, 
Jack Stones, which I think Jack Stones are like the the Jack. It's Jacks, right? Yeah, I think I've never so. heard them called Go Jack, Jack Stones. Stones. Neither have I. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Jacks, Jacks, um, yeah, and you know just. I loved Jacks for some I reason. I don't know what it was about. I liked, I think, the texture of holding them in my yes. hand and bunch. trying to yeah. grab them all. Yeah, yeah. Like, the, like, I don't know, the little, because they had the little balls on the end of the little, the yeah. weird little yeah. thing, thing, and it just like, like felt sharp, cool. Sharp, but not. Yeah, 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 sharp, but not. That's exactly what they were. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and this is, it is the tactile relationship between you and the toy. Also, just cause and effect spatial relationships so like jacks for instance you got to bounce the ball grab all the little guys before the ball comes back you Mm -hmm. know that takes a lot of hand-eye coordination um so we're developing spatial relationships cause and effect and a wide range of other motor skills also some of the more more popular toys too are um, ones that are involving just like clay sculpting toys so play-doh i loved play-doh i fucked with play-doh Hard. Yeah, I loved. Okay, I loved Play-Doh well into like my teenage years because I have this story with a really good friend of mine where we were like sixteen years old and we, neither one of us could drive at the time and we were just hanging out in my basement on like one day and we we walked to a, a shopco and bought like sixty dollars worth of Play-Doh and just made like a massive play-doh sculpture amazing as 16 year olds like that's what that's what we wanted to do with our day and it was awesome and we still like that's still a story that comes up all the time like play-doh is an amazing tool (laughs) especially for people who are very tactile like oh even from the container like i have like the memory of like peeling peeling the lid off of those containers that like yes the salty smell i used to eat it Oh, I, I, I didn't eat it, but I would definitely have that like salt shit that you'd get on your fingers. I would like lick you my know, fingers. You know, it's non-toxic. You can eat yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You oh. shouldn't. <laughs> it's a weird thing you to do. Jen, that's really bad for you. <laughs> How dare you? It was also the colors. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm The sorry. colors of Play-Doh. Yes. Like, they really did some cool stuff with color. Like, yeah. Yeah. That was very appealing to me for yeah. sure. There was it was like the something about the matte, like pure, like reds and, mm-hmm. and teals and, mm-hmm. and yellow. Yeah, I I loved Play-Doh, and Play-Doh is one of the toys that um, it allows children to make toys of their own. Yeah. So it's a mm-hmm. toy that you can craft into your own little guys. Okay. Okay. <laughs> We're talking about <laughs> little guys and how much we love to make them. Um, and yeah, so it people have gotten into Play-Doh and talking about how much they positively impact physical, cognitive, emotional, and social development. Also, like as a corporation, Play-Doh did just kind of go ham and you had like all these like different kits you could buy or different tools. Like they were like these different tools or mechanisms you could use with the Play-Doh. Like a factory. Yeah, like (laughs) a factory. All the kids would be just like... Like, Jen, we were talking the other day about Play-Doh and how like they would have the one um, that made like the spaghetti, like the hair. I love that one. We all loved that one. The haircut. Yeah. Yes. There was the one where you made like pizza. Yes. I'm sorry, but I don't know why they would make like the toy. <laughs> like you make food, food. and it looks like you, you want to fucking eat it. That Look, is confusing. The I Play-Doh ate a pe- lot of Play-Doh. 
<laughs> hey, look. <laughs> the Play-Doh pizza looked delicious, though. It was I, delicious. I remember... <laughs> I remember always as a kid, so like the um, like cartoon pizza, like the pizza on like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and stuff. Mm-hmm. It always looked so much more appealing than regular pizza. Yeah, and play doh stretch like yeah. a foot, and you're just like, huh. And like play doh pizza is closer to cartoon pizza than regular <laughs> pizza. True. So it's very appealing to a child. <laughs> Absolutely, and you know, yeah, and there's just something to be said about the it's the bright colors, it's mm-hmm. the the textures. Um, this is why toys for infants, especially, um, the big thing is distinctive sounds, different textures, you know, you get the crinkly sort of sounds and the, the sort of like squeaky sounds, bright colors. And so for infant cognitive development, you want to begin have them recognizing shapes and colors and sounds like really like basic stuff. Toys are there to help with that based on this idea that like repetition reinforces memory Mm -hmm. so you're learning very early on these textures these sounds these these colors etc and then obviously you know we have a lot of educational toys for school-aged children they contain puzzles problem solving any kind of mathematical sort of uh, solutions and then obviously toys for older audiences you know the newton's Mm. cradle who doesn't love that fucking thing (laughs) with the balls oh yeah the metal yeah yeah. i love that shit (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, so desk toys yeah are a whole thing yeah you know and those are like these toys that are like okay for adults yeah i don't have a desk but if i had a desk (laughs) i would want it Covered in covered toys. in toys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, toys for cognitive development. Toys to reinforce societal values, cultural values. Toys to enhance survival. And toys are a valuable tool. Something that comes up again and again, though, and especially you know in the realm of archaeology, is the difficulties of distinguishing between play and ritual. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of what we have been taught as far as art history people go were ritual objects. Let's think Venus of Willendorf, like fetish objects, okay? Which Mm -hmm. that term is just, Mm -hmm. gives me a problem. But But (laughs) we we love a ritual object. There there was a meme I saw the other day. It was the... um, is this a is this a bird? You know that meme. Oh, yes. Yeah, and it was archaeologists, and it was and it was like literally anything. Is this a ritual object? Yes. Oh, yeah. my God. Like everything is a ritual object. They do that, <laughs> and every archaeologist I feel maybe up until like present day has whatever they find in an old dig is a ritual object, a mm-hmm. ceremonial object. Yeah. And they were just having ceremonies constantly. Like, wow, everything was ceremonial. Everyone <laughs> was just rushing around to ceremonies constantly. I got, I got 12 laid, ceremonies just dropping today, the ritual objects on yeah, the way. Yeah, everything is ceremonial. Everything's a ritual object. <laughs> I like to believe that that's just like chaotic, like ceremony to ceremony. Go. I have a 12 o'clock ceremony <laughs> and a 4 o'clock ceremony. I don't know when I'm going to eat lunch. So wow. got to make two more rituals. We need a, we need a lunch ceremony. <laughs> yeah. A lunch ceremony. This ceremonial fork. 
with my ceremonial bowl. Oh my god! Well, and so this is a real life conundrum that archaeologists face when they examine ancient remains. How do you distinguish from adult rituals and children's play? They don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, and maybe to. they shouldn't. Like, yeah. you know, right? <laughs> but you know, so in the past and today, you know, behaviors of ceremony and behaviors of play leave similar material traces ceremonial objects often are miniatures dolls or effigies carefully arranged sometimes they're on an altar but how do we know it's an altar how do we know it's not a make-believe tea party table Mm -hmm. or something Um, Mm -hmm. and both play and ritual create unusual patterns of debris they're distinct from everyday acts like tool making and food preparation rituals in play generally occur in peripheral spaces so these are objects that we find away from daily hubbub Mm -hmm. sort of life and so it presents a huge problem in 2018 In current anthropology, Australia-based archaeologist Michelle Langley and Marani Litzer outlined ways child's play has likely been misinterpreted as adult ritual. And they argue, this argument, it's based on observations of recent hunter-gatherer children. So societies today that live in these more, like, just more... um, like non-industrialized, like a, just communal. a non-industrial, yeah. non-Western sort of idea of of society that we, when we see that kind of life, we use words like primitive and mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. But these these children in these communities lead lives that are more similar to past peoples than kids in industrialized societies. And the review showed that these children tend to play with miniature versions of tools that they'll handle as an adult, hunting bows, fishing gear, and dolls and simple figurines that are not necessarily represent they don't look like the toys that that we associate as like that's a toy. Mm-hmm. They look like a little clay buddy that mm-hmm. someone made. And so when I mean, we find these objects then in ancient burial sites, I think that the drive to say that it's ceremonial comes from the hope that you as an archaeologist like found something that is really special. It's ceremonial. The the word ceremonial carries a lot of like heavy mm-hmm. connotations, whereas the idea that it's a play object is sort of denigrated, which mm, yeah. I think it should be the opposite. Yeah, honestly. Yeah, no, I like I totally agree with you, but I think that's also to like our definitions are what to or bl- what to blame for that because yes. like play and ceremony can actually have a lot in common and can interact, but we define play as this children's yes, thing. We right. define ceremony as this, uh, you know, kind of more like, <clears throat> yeah, important act for whatever culture. Like, it's just the way we define them when really, you know, they, it was probably not one or the other. It was probably yeah. a mix, you yeah. know? <laughs> I believe so. I think that we, especially because of the rise of disciplines like anthropology, mm-hmm. archaeology, mm-hmm. etc., we mm-hmm. want to categorize these 
uh, normal human impulses, which are to play. Yeah. And play is ceremonial. I mean, who's to say what is ceremonial or not? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And ritual can really be anything. You know, ritual can uh, t- that word can basically mean any type of action that you are doing repeatedly and intentionally you know so like play certainly could be ritualistic so it's like maybe it is a ritual object but like maybe the way we think about ritual objects is the problem mm-hmm. yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and i think that what we're looking at in a lot of these cases of these ritual items and especially like okay there was the example of an object, uh, an 8,000-year-old clay animal figure that was found in present-day Israel. And this object is one of dozens of clay figurines. They're kind of crudely pinched into four-legged creatures, and they are extremely old. The possibility that these artifacts were children's toys cannot be ruled out. So that is is it's something that's almost it's a little bit newer in the world of archaeology where people are starting to re-examine these objects that were previously considered strictly ceremonial and needing to reconsider the fact that they could be for play. Another example are the Kachina dolls of the Pueblo Indians. Um, These have been regarded as instructive sacred objects but more and more we're learning that they were played with by children as a means to learn myths of their culture Mm -hmm. but they were dolls they were to play with and they're usually considered in this ceremonial context but not in their context as a doll that may be played with by a child so a big problem when it comes to ancient toys a major issue is that a lot of children's play happens in their imaginations. Mm-hmm. And kids today and in the past amuse themselves with whatever. Yeah. Whatever they pick up. When yeah. I was a kid, I used to... Do y'all remember those those pickle grabbers? Do you guys know what I'm talking oh, about? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With a button and yeah. it brings out like a claw and it's supposed to be for grabbing a pickle, which like, why don't you just use a fork? <laughs> but whatever. I remember. Because this is more fun. It <laughs> is more fun. And I remember as a kid, like that pickle grabber was not. I'm Googling this. I don't know what a pickle grabber is. Oh, my God. It's just a claw. I think like, I might. I, I, I you guys I, are saying that, though. Like, I still don't know what that means. I think means. I have one. But like that pickle grabber was well i just bought pickles if you want (laughs) oh i see wow wow Mm. (laughs) but you know wow kids amuse themselves with whatever yeah my favorite my favorite yeah just a very fond memory i have is there was it was a box that our uh water heater came in and I just I just turned it into my playhouse. That and was it, your house. It was a fucking <laughs> cardboard box. Yeah. There was nothing more to it than that. I think a parent helped me, you know, cut some windows in it. Mm-hmm. That's all it was. And I was like, this this is my home. Mm-hmm. This is where I want to be. <laughs> I live here. <laughs> yeah. I loved it. I loved it. It yeah. was and it's yeah, I think, you know, kids. Kids are going to attach what to whatever excites yeah. them. Rocks. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a big, expensive new toy. Like, yeah. it really can be something very simple that mm-hmm. they get to make their own little world with. You yeah. Know? yeah. So because of this, because we can't account for ancient children's imaginations, we really 
have a difficult time discerning what was used for play. Mm-hmm. And um, so something that is helping sort of move in this direction of reconsidering ceremonial objects as play objects is observing young chimpanzees. Mm-hmm. And apparently chimps play make-believe. I love that for them. Something like 14 years of observations (laughs) of wild chimps in Uganda resulted in researchers reporting that uh, juvenile chimps treated sticks like the way that a human would treat like a baby doll. Um, Carrying a stick, cradling it, small logs in the same logs, yeah, (laughs) like in the same manner that a mother chimp would treat an infant. (laughs) I know. A log, baby. <laughs> and like, considering that chimps are our closest primate relatives and they appear to play make-believe mm-hmm. the way that kids universally mm-hmm. do so, it's almost certain that ancient children were doing this. And these behaviors rarely leave a trace. And in really rare cases, that- you find some debris and it's more than likely was a game of imagination. And we mm-hmm. don't know. That reminds me of Ren and Stimpy and the log. Log? Yeah. It's better than bad. It's good. (laughs) It rolls over your neighbor's dog. Everybody loves a log. Log, log, log. log. Everybody loves a log. (laughs) And now log for girls. It has like a wig and like lipstick. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh my goodness. Apparently that has ancient roots. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that is a little bit on the history of toys and play. We should maybe take another break. A little break. And then we'll come back and I'm going to talk about some contemporary artist designers that, uh, Play with toys. Yay, toys. We have returned. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thank you to our sponsors. We love and appreciate you. We love you. (laughs) We love you. Also, thank you. (laughs) Thank you to Art History Babe supporters. We also love you. We also love you. We love you. All right. We (laughs) are talking about toys and, and play and... You know, just the the general, yeah. Why why do we love a little guy? I love a little guy, <laughs> <laughs> but why do you? Love but a why? Guy? <laughs> <laughs> and so I have a couple of artists I want to talk about, but the main one I want to talk about, I actually I was really excited when Jen brought this idea to the table because I found out about this artist several years ago because she was featured on the season two of Netflix Abstract, which is a fabulous show. Mm -hmm. Like I recommend it to everyone. It's like the art of design and each episode features a different designer slash artist and it it goes through so many different types of design and types of art and it's a fabulous show. And I when I first watched this episode with her, I was like, I want to talk about all this. I was so excited about it. I remember actually watching 
this season with my partner at the time and he had already watched it and before even started he was like you are going to love her Mm -hmm. and he was right I was just like this is everything to me like she is amazing her name is Cass Holman abstract season two definitely just watch the episode you know I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of talk about her work and her philosophy but it's well worth the watch and so much of what she does I know just like it it really spoke to me personally because childhood development has always been something I've been interested in Uh, for a while I was an L-Ed major in undergrad I've worked in daycare I've worked with kids I've been a nanny like childhood development does fascinate me and is very important to me and so when that overlaps with art it's just a very exciting thing Mm -hmm. and what Cass does is she designs toys and designs basically like play scapes or toys that can be kind of turned into these play environments and she she comes at it from I think a very into the future kind of perspective like she's really looking ahead in terms of what is going to be best for children and the way she describes it is you don't design for play we design for the circumstances of play to arise i love that Mm. yeah Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i and she also talks a lot about how she sees herself as a designer and what they do as designers as play she's like so much of what i do is playing and that to her it's a very it's just a very natural connection. Like you, you can tell in the way she talks about it. It's not even, it's just like, it, it, it's it's an extension of what design is, is creating these objects and toys for children because that is her relationship to her design practice. And then also you kind of touched on this a little bit, Jen, but she does come from a place of growing up in the, you know, the 80s and 90s and a deep frustration with the gendered nature of toys and how we did very much grow up in a time where it's the the blue aisle and the pink aisle. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and to have that as just the established options, how even as a small child, she was deeply frustrated by that and didn't understand it. And she kind of goes into her personal story with that. And she also talks about, because she's a queer woman um, who also just doesn't, identify with a lot of feminine gender norms Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and she talks about how like her struggles with that in her own life and how she felt as a younger person and as a child that gender was just this lens through which she had no choice but to see the world and I think that's a really great way to think about gender right now while we're like deconstructing it it's like we were all given these templates and these lenses and it was like that's your gender and that's how you have to see the world and breaking that down when we think about gender so she's very much you know creating toys that are in no way gendered and no way met for any gender Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and are are entirely gender neutral so for example she has she has a few different things that have just like been on the market and have done really well one of her first projects was called the big blue blocks nice and essentially what they are is they are this like ever evolving playground designed by children they are these they're all yeah it's blue and they're these different shaped blocks it kind of does remind me a bit of like a lego type situation but like mm, love larger. a lego yeah, yeah. right yeah. love a lego they're but they're they're soft mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so so children can build things 
things with them and play on the things and like, you know, not hurt themselves if it topples over like that right. kind of a thing. Right. Big blue blocks like this ever evolving playground. And then her next big project was called GMO. So GMO is basically a series of these objects that uh, kind of look like a wishbone, like they're uh, these three kind of extensions in almost like a triangle type shape. But yeah, it looks like a wishbone. And then they're they're malleable too, like they move and they have magnets on oh, the end of them. I love and, it. Yeah. And so kids can connect them and build something off of that. But what I really love about this toy and also how Cass describes it while she was in the designing phase of it there was this push like well what if we color coded the magnets so the kids know that this magnet lines up with this magnet no (laughs) (laughs) yes exactly and that's exactly Cass was like I don't she didn't want to do that because she describes it as wanting to create that moment of the magnets not lining up for the kids and how that's a really Uh, just a really powerful moment in the process Mm -hmm. to like try and put a magnet to a magnet and have it push Mm -hmm. back. It repels. Yeah, it repels. That's really interesting because I think that that's not something that I think most toy designers would think of to create a moment of frustration. Yeah. When Mm -hmm. it doesn't quite connect, you know? Exactly. And she is like finding the value in that moment for these kids, which Mm. I think is... There's no satisfaction without that, honestly. Yeah. Like, they'll get bored quickly. Like, that's... Exactly. Like, challenge is so necessary for humans to feel fulfilled 100 yes and and i think we have this habit of thinking of children as like simpler humans but it's doing them a disservice because they are just humans and we were all children once like i am a big believer in children are really just tiny adults and adults are just children that have been around longer. You know, Mm -hmm. like we really are a lot more similar than we want to believe that we are. And to try and take the challenge out of children's play and out of children's lives, I think we do them a lot of disservice. Yeah, Um, absolutely. And so I love that that was her approach as like, no, you know, yeah, they'd get bored with it. They'd, They'd say peace out to the toy really quick. Right. When you have these challenges, you have to rethink how you're designing it and how what you're making, which is uh, just a really just beautiful moment, you know, as a human is like when you have to pivot like that, you know. And she talks a lot about, too, in addition to her frustrations with the genderedness of toys that she grew up with. She remembers being frustrated with toys as a child because she just felt like they were a lot of times very like kind of one dimensional and that the the intention was they were designed to keep kids occupied and they were designed to sell, Mm -hmm. but they weren't necessarily designed with children and play value in mind. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like a lot of toys, it was about, sales value yep. and it and it was about keeping children occupied what can we give them to make yeah. them happy to keep them occupied yeah it wasn't necessarily about what can we give them that's going to fulfill them well sure and now i'm gonna sound like an old biddy no. but that's <laughs> kind of how i feel about some of the video games that we were given as kids mm-hmm. like the game boy like sure. i remember being given a game boy mm-hmm. and spending hours staring at that thing and and it was really really 
I feel a way to keep me out of my parents' hair. Yeah. And I think a lot of parents did that with their kids. And And, well, that translates now to like the iPad and like iPad time or iPhone time. And like, I'm not putting that out there in a shaming way because I know that it's very complicated for parents. And most people try and find like a happy balance. And like, sometimes it's easier and you like... Yeah, and yeah, it, it's tied up with privilege you, and, you know, childcare and all sorts of things that, like, you know, not yeah, everyone has a lot just, of choice in. You just need your kid to stare at a screen well, and yes. leave you alone. Maybe yes. your mom 100%. is hung over <laughs> and needs you to go, be quiet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's I also, a million reasons. Yeah, I, I also think, yeah, just in, in terms of being a parent and having kids and stuff, like, I don't think it... It's fair to put the pressure of your child needs to be doing something constructive at all times on anyone. Like, that's a ridiculous thing. But that's what I like about what Cass Holman's doing because she's literally creating toys Mm -hmm. that you can put your kid in a room and go do what you need to do. And they can be occupied and it is engaging them. And it's like, so it's kind of a best of both worlds, Mm -hmm. I feel like. Um, It's like, you can give this to them because you need a break. Yeah. And they're going to get something out of it. It's almost like there's benefits to making things with intention and being thoughtful. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Exactly. Weird. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, and she is just such a deeply thoughtful person. And I also really love, like she says in the episode, and it's towards the end too. It's it, she's just like, it's not that I like kids. And she was like, she's like, I don't dislike them, but I like people. And good toys make good people. Hell yeah, that's pretty awesome. Uh, I mean, I really, I really like looking at it from that point of view because, yeah, I think that I don't know. I don't know if I want to make this uh, claim, but I'm gonna. Which is, <laughs> oh boy. I just feel like a lot of us are the product of the 90s era toys and we're playing with Barbies and we were playing with, I guess I just keep coming back to Barbies, honestly, because Barbie gave me a fucking complex. I was not okay because Barbie was tall and, and skinny and blonde and I was the opposite. And I always had this like disconnect, but those were the toys that I was given and Mm -hmm. they made me feel bad a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And I just, I would have, I think really benefited from toys like this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, and I think about just what it was like to be a teenager in the early aughts. Jesus (laughs) Christ. That whole thing. What a time. Um, Yeah. I mean, we'll talk about it, but (laughs) we'll talk about it. Like, and, and yeah, I think this does connect to a lot of what you, you were saying in the sense that even the, the toys that were meant to, guide us in maybe more constructive ways like the doctor set and the you know the cash register Mm -hmm. I had my little you know the Mm -hmm. things that were meant to represent the society we were in and possibly the roles that we would play as we got older which it makes sense it makes sense that those were the toys it makes sense that those existed and I'm not even going to say that they didn't have value like I do think that there can be value in those kinds of toys that are just like reenacting adult life however 
those toys compared to like what I think Cass is really trying to do and, and toy designers like her are really trying to do is they are trying to predestine a reality. They're not fostering creativity. Mm-hmm. They are saying yes. this, they're prepping you for a reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas these are like open ended toys are not they're fully fostering creative thinking. Mm-hmm. And that means that the future doesn't have to mean you work at a cash register, right. you're a doctor, you're XYZ. Or you're obsessed with accessorizing. Yeah. Or, yes, exactly. <laughs> I have to accessorize. It's, it's not giving you this specific template. model of, yeah, a template of this is what it is to grow up and be a human. It's saying life is wild. Here's some stuff. What can you create? Yeah. I, you know, and I just, I think there's, especially where we are societally, that's what we need right yeah. now. Like even, we need to be rethinking the whole thing, you know? <laughs> teaching people, teaching small people to think in open-ended and more gray terms versus there being a right or wrong, which when you brought up the whole idea of color coding in order to like show the right way, it's like even just not providing that binary mm-hmm. of like these go and these clash is amazing because <laughs> I think I don't know at least for when I was a kid I was so susceptible to like doing things right and like not getting in trouble oh, and same, like wanting same. to avoid <laughs> doing things wrong and so if there was a clear you know way to do that I would but like mm-hmm. that's so crippling in terms of creativity anyway. and it messes with you forever like exactly yeah. it's there like forever there there yeah. becomes this like oh there I need to do this the right way feeling yeah. and and this connects to another thing she talks about that I love um, because she also talks about how as a child she didn't really fit into the classic school model like she wasn't good at taking tests and wasn't like really good at the metrics that school provided for intelligence so she believed she wasn't smart but it was really that school wasn't set up to highlight the ways that she was very smart it wasn't set up to benefit people that didn't fall in line in that way and quote from the show classrooms should be about what's outside not in its own tomb of archaic knowledge so her approach to what it means to learn and grow is about being a human big or small in the world it is not about being trapped in a mm-hmm. building of a very art one archaic right and wrong form of knowledge mm-hmm. and so we i think because our society is so formed by established academia, you know, the educational system. Everything needs to filter into that. We have to make we have to make toys that will make us smarter in terms of the metrics that we're being tested on in school, right? Like it's all connected. And it's like that is still the intention is still one very straightforward system that is I think, you know, that we all know that it's a it's a faulty system. It's not beneficial to a lot of people and it doesn't it doesn't allow for everyone to be them be- their best selves. And if anything, I think a lot of modern day schooling ends up giving us all like mental illnesses and like and <laughs> yeah. like and perfectionism complexes mm-hmm. and like Absolutely. It, and so there's this, you know, there is a move happening where we're moving in away from that. Lately we're kind of moving into this space of 
recognizing how important play is for children and open-ended play is for children, which is fabulous. But I do think the thinking still seems to plateau a little bit um, in terms of just how we think of the bigger picture. Like there was this, just the other day I saw this NPR post. They posted this thing about how important just free play is for children and how they did, there was this uh, big study that found that like a lot of preschool programs aren't good for children and that they really should probably just be playing at that age in a very open-ended way. And that the preschool programs that are more successful are the ones like kind of more Montessori, more mm. more mm-hmm. built on that play model, or it might just be better to just let your kids be free at that age. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's great. I love that. I think that's moving in the right direction. However, it also kind of felt like, I remember I was looking through the comments and so many people were like, you know, this just in water is wet. You know, like so many people, (laughs) so many people are like this. Yeah, this is obvious. And this has been obvious for a while. And I think our thinking with it does kind of still plateau at children. And we don't give enough attention to the fact that like adults are just older children and that play and freedom needs to be a bigger part of how we work. I it know. It needs to be a bigger part of how we do schooling. It needs to be a bigger part of how we learn. Of our of, of just being alive. Yeah. Exactly. It's I, not just about kids. It's about humans, as Cass Holman said, you know? I think about this in when I think about my relationship to leisure, okay? Whenever I have my leisure time, time where I'm not working, essentially. I don't really know how to experience leisure without, um, I don't know, maybe drinking too much or doing some kind of drugs or something to like sort of like let me break out of that like mentality mm-hmm. of productivity and responsibility. Yep. And I just wonder what it would have been like if the notion of like play as a crucial aspect of life hadn't stopped somewhere around elementary school or perhaps play as ritual like play as (laughs) you know play as this thing that we do almost with like a you know, a spiritual like intention or even just a reverence, you know, a reverence for yeah, this is you what make we time for ritual. So like people go to church. Yeah. Like exactly. why didn't why can't we just have play built into that a societal norm, which is we make time for play. We yeah. get out weird objects and toys and we play and, and we, we play and we do things with them. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I think that that's something we all need to think about a lot more. And I do just also think that's just the direction we're going. And I think for sure. more and more people are aware of it. We're talking about it more and more, um, which is a really great thing. And yeah, I just I love I love that it is the focus of Cass Holman's work and that um, it I think it just really comes from a really beautiful place of of caring about humanity and wanting to use her creative abilities and her art to like further people. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I love that. Also, just a little side note that I think connects to the episode that we did when we had our whole conversation about inspiration versus stealing Mm -hmm. and how that is all complex In this episode of Abstract, towards the end, Cass shares how one of her designs, which was called Rigamajig, is a very big collective open-ended play building type 
design mm-hmm. and she was doing it in the US and you know some people were responsive to it some people were like this is too dangerous and then she got a call one day from someone in China saying that there was someone who was basically like ripping off her idea and so her instinct when that happened was like was this is some kind of patent infringement this is some kind of you know and so she like wanted to fix it and figure it out and yeah. felt kind of hurt by it sure. and then she goes over there and she sees what's actually being done and she recognizes it is much bigger than what she created Mm. it's really an extension of what she was trying to do Mm. and she decides she just wants to work with these people and so now they work together because she was just impressed with like the way that they were kind of taking the same ideas and like making it a reality in ways she didn't even know was possible and so now they work together now like she yeah she like goes over to China and like ultimately it was not a case of stealing it was they had similar visions mm-hmm. let's do this together and make it as big as we can and get yeah. it to as many kids as we can yeah which i was just like yes like if that you know like that's not always the case of what's happening but mm-hmm. sometimes the case is just you have a similar vision to someone else so like maybe you can do it together and make it bigger mm-hmm. you know because your visions work together for the common good and like this is one of those examples it's called so her building project was called rigamajig and then in china it's called anji play um overall just a huge huge fan of this human also she did drag on Maury Povich in the 90s, which I think is so baller. Oh, my God. <laughs> I do like, love Maury. It's so like, trashy. But <laughs> that's, so trashy. it's great. Yeah, it was like it was one of the fun like drag shows. Yeah. You know, and like and she even says she like when she's telling the story, she's like, you know, and there are lots of problems with that now. <laughs> like, like she's very For aware, sure. But like it was just a fun thing she got to do at the time. And like she's just a really fucking cool person and i admire her a lot and i admire what she's doing and you should all watch the episode cass holman everyone cass cass and then i have another artist that quick shout out there is also a show that i don't i don't know if i've even brought it up on the podcast but there is a show called work of art the next great artist Mm. and it came out circa like 2009 2010 and it was your typical competition show you know like where you just you bring on a handful of artists and then they have little little challenges and then they're judge there's a panel of judges and the judges and you know and then the the winner in the end gets like an exhibition and a bunch of money Mm -hmm. it's one of of those following that reality TV template and it always was like such a weird show because I did feel like forcing these people to create art within like time constraints and stuff always felt weird yeah. and always just like kind of I was like oh this is crazy but also I've watched it so many times it like became a comfort show mm-hmm. um, and it yeah it's all on YouTube you can watch there's two seasons of it and it is just like from anyone who loves art or loves making art it is fun it is fun to see everyone's processes and everyone's ideas you know like it's it's enjoyable it was also produced by uh sarah jessica parker <laughs> so it's a big new york city vibes right mm-hmm. it's big new york city art scene vibes and in the first season or maybe it's a, no i think it's the second season uh there's a man by the name of the suck lord suck lord <laughs> Nice. <laughs> that is his uh, alias, I guess. 
And he is a pretty ridiculous person and artist. If you go to his Instagram account, his IG bio says bootleg toy king and D-list reality TV star. Yeah, I'm I'm there. I'm deep in his Instagram right now. I mean, look at the picture of him in his little suit. He's wearing like a little purple suit. Yeah, Yeah, he's kind of adorable. (laughs) But his whole thing really is, is the little guy. I love what he's doing here. (laughs) These these types of little toys that are just like, I've seen just like super weird ones that are like, I don't know. Um, it's it's like Harry on the toilet from Dumb and Dumber, mm-hmm. or like though that kind of style of weird little niche toy. Like it just appeals to me. Yeah, and so yeah, all of his work, you know, it's it is like handmade, quote unquote. Like this is his speech, like knockoffs of basically like collectible little toys. Mm-hmm. He's a huge Star Wars fan, and so that it inspires a lot of it. And so he. F- creates these these little toys these little what look like collectible toys he does the packaging and everything it's the full thing it's not even just the toy it's like the packaging of it and like creating this little collectible guy Mm -hmm. and but Mm -hmm. yet he yeah puts kind of a postmodern spin on it you know a little bit of like critical thought or like Mm -hmm. how do I make this more absurd or whatever and that was his whole thing and honestly that was also the issue within the in the show because all of his works would kind of come back to that and at one point in the show because one of the judges on the show was Jerry Saltz oh yeah I remember oh yeah (laughs) I remember there being a point a judging where Jerry Saltz was like I don't want to see the toys anymore like I don't want to see because he that was just his thing. And so he brought it to every challenge, you know, and Jerry Saltz was like, I need to see more. Like, I don't want to see the toys anymore, which also brings me to Sucklord did a important art critic, defender of taste and culture, Jerry Saltz, little collectible guy. <laughs> yes, that, and, you know, we've had a couple conversations about how we feel about Mr. Jerry. <laughs> So, but whatever. <laughs> so um, there's that. But yeah. it's, yeah, he, so he kind of, you know, um, took the personality of Jerry Saltz, took his like persona, turned him into a little collectible guy. Yeah, so mm-hmm. he does really fun things. Yeah, he's just kind of a silly person and I appreciate it. Also, work of art, The Next Great Artist is a fun circa 2010 watch if you're up for that. <laughs> What a vibe. Yeah, a vibe indeed. Um, But that is all I have. Should we take another break? Sure. And we're back yet again, continuing to return. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you. Thank you once again <laughs> <laughs> Two hours for us Okay so I'm going to talk about some Some shit um, <laughs> I have a feeling Many of our listeners will have Opinions on this topic <laughs> So when Researching for this topic I just wanted I like thought about The whole sensation of what are called designer toys, 
art collectible toys or urban vinyl. Um, <laughs> and basically what these things are, who are they for, and why do I kind of hate some of them. So these are collectible toys designed by practicing artists. They're typically meant to be like actually manufactured in small or boutique (laughs) factories, which I didn't know a boutique factory existed, but why not? And in this sense, they're not meant to be like mass produced, like children's toys. They are like designed by artists and made in small factories in small batches. Um, So it's like mindfully, artfully designed and, you know, supporting small factory businesses, which is cool. But several artists have made like the art toy game a big commercial deal and art toys are getting produced and sold quite widely. And it's becoming almost more of like a mass consumerist kind of item than I think it was originally. And one thing to call out is that like these, these are toys, but they are made for adults because they are expensive as hell oftentimes. I mean, it can range like you can get some for like a 100 bucks, but they're not like meant for kids to be like actively played with. They're kind of more like baseball cards in that you collect them and you preserve them Mm -hmm. and keep them in their packaging, right? Oh, I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) Do not make me keep a toy in packaging. Don't do that. It's the worst. Uh, It's uh, cruel. (laughs) It is. It is a cruel thing to do. (laughs) Yeah, so I'll talk about a couple artists that like you may, you've likely seen because like if me describing these, you're like, I don't really know if I've seen that. I don't know if I've really encountered that, but I promise you, you've seen something by fucking cause. That artist name is K-A-W-S in all caps because it's so cool. Um, (laughs) He's really cool. He's really cool. Um, (laughs) And um, yeah, you know, I, I like to... I like to approach artists as much as I can, even if I have a distinct opinion that I I do not vibe with their work, thinking about why it appeals and all that. But Cause is in a category that is for him and for Jeff Koons for me, where I just Oh I, yeah. I don't mm-hmm. I don't like it and I won't. And you can't convince me. So mm-hmm. don't try. <laughs> Um, so Cause uh, started out as a graffiti artist. And what's interesting is like a lot of um, these like designer toys or urban vinyl are made by like white dude graffiti artists who started in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's just like a thing. And there definitely is like a lot of elements of graffiti and like street culture that kind of gets wrapped up into like the greater market of art designer toys. And like in the 90s is when we saw like the cultural rise of what's called like hype beast collectors. And like hype beast collectors are just pe- like collectors who are like collecting things that you know like sneakerheads you know like limited edition supreme exactly mm. like you know hype beast collectors you know them like yeah. you just i <laughs> you may you, you be do. one you are friends with them I yes promise. yes and you know it's it's just like collecting things that are kind of hyped up items that are like part of the cultural lexicon where you're just told like yeah like this is some cool cool shit you know go go spend three thousand dollars on a a five inch toy 
do it do it <laughs> so <laughs> fucking frustrating um but you know there were and are plenty of artists who are working at like really cool like small art toy companies and like they collaborate with visual artists to design toys and they're made like small and you know in kind of more sustainable methods of like toy production but it really has like over the decades like morph like the art toys you see are from these like huge name like brand name artists right emphasis on the brand because like they are no longer just like oh i do graffiti art or you know paintings it's like oh i do all that and i have like a whole apparel line and i'm collaborating with you know fucking versace and making coats (laughs) um and and all that so they really create a brand around their own name and artistry and i found this really great article that will link um that anyone can check out who's interested on art news um and it's called beyond cause the authentic world of indie art toys um and it's by shanti escalante de mate um beautiful name i know and you know just talking about like kind of obviously as the title suggests beyond cause like what who are the artists that are part of this like what are the things that feed into it and so in this art news article they interview um, a few different artists but one of them that really stood out to me who's like been designing toys since the 90s is this artist that goes under the name negroid automata got a really cool instagram should check it out she basically like explains the development of like the hype beast collectors in art toys and so this is what she had to say about it art collectors and hype beast collectors emerged at conventions something you'll see if you go to designer con now is that a lot of people who are buying art toys are sneakerheads. They'll be walking around with $2,000 sneakers on their feet and buying art toys the same way they buy sneakers. You'll see a line for something and it'll sell out only to see it on eBay the next day. The most popular ones are these hype beast brands that have merged into the art toy community like Cause or Kicks or Bape. I don't know either of those, but all these names are fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like bape. <laughs> yeah, fucking. I want to imagine it's like bape. Uh, yeah, that's what I was like. Is it bape? No. <laughs> it might be. Who knows? <laughs> Who's to say? Who is to say? Who's to say? Um, and the author. <laughs> thank you. That was beautiful. <laughs> um, the author of this article goes on to say the strong presence of hype beast culture rankles May, who's the name of. Um, the artist who goes by the name Negroid Automata, who is one of few black designers in a scene dominated by white men. May says, it's all very street culture-y, but I think a lot of street culture derives from black culture. She says, despite the influence of black culture, you go to these conventions and you don't really see a lot of black people or black artists, just a lot of black themes. And, you know, this is we find this in so many different elements of the art world and the the world at large where, you know, white culture takes a lot from black culture. And even just like the fact that these toys are called like urban vinyl, right? You know, it's like this like obsession with like street culture. Yeah. When you said that word, I was like, I hate that. (laughs) Yeah. Something rubs me very wrong about phrasing it that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just not. And 
you know, there were there's so many good quotes from this article. So I just want to read one more. The popularity of designer toys in the art world was always predicated on its edgy street culture credibility. The appeal of this work for non-black artists and consumers often goes unexamined. Art toys make childhood pop iconography, like Mickey Mouse, subversive by making it, quote, street, continuing the old positioning of blackness and black culture as the antithesis of innocence, mm. which I think is like a really key mm. yeah. Yeah. point of all this, because it's like... You look like you look at cause stuff and it's like, you know, this kind of like subversion of Mickey Mouse where like they're like these weird kind of ears, but like the face is a little more skull like, but it definitely has like a cartoonish Mm -hmm. Disney feel to it. Mm -hmm. And like these toys just seem to like carry a lot of the mainstream art toys seem to carry this this weird balance between like taking elements of like black culture and like trying to be all like tongue in cheek with like oh here's an edgy like mickey mouse <laughs> you know and and i think yeah. it's it's just very telling that it's like become a greater part of like hype beast collectors where it's like sneakers like sneaker culture comes from black americans like that's mm-hmm. you know the, yeah. these you 100%. know 100 all all of these take elements of that and like rebrand them to be like oh like you know edgy and cool but then there's no space for actual bl- black creators within those realms or very little space mm-hmm. so i think it's worth calling that out and and critiquing that and because um, it's also it's taking elements that are are really interesting and really creative coming from black culture and then yeah. just sanitizing it exactly. and then making a ton and of mass money off fucking of it. producing it. Yeah. yeah. And it's like everything about that is bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, like yeah. there's, there isn't a, a, a point in there where it's like, oh, this is kind of okay. Like right. it's just like, it's just kind of, yeah, taking elements of another culture that's marginalized that you think is cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sanitizing it and making it worse like making it less interesting and then making a ton of money off of it like the entire trajectory sucks it does it does and it just you know i had read like another article that was like talking about cause and it was like talking about cause in a way that like i just love how like democratic his work is because it's accessible at so many different price points where it's like you can get a cause figurine at like the moma gift shop for a hundred dollars or you can you know really buy something that's like thousands of dollars i'm like that's not democratic at all that's (laughs) one you okay just anyone can go into fucking moma in their gift shop and buy a hundred dollar toy like it's i do not have a hundred dollars to buy a cause toy i do no, not have and that. you would be foolish. Yeah, I don't even have a hundred dollars to get my oil changed right now, <laughs> let Just. alone to like, yeah, buy this this toy yeah. that like is supposed to be cool and meaningful. Yeah. Which also, just all of this stripped away aesthetically don't get i don't care for it it's boring it's It's boring i don't like it i've seen it already yeah i'm like redundant it's (laughs) derivative i'll just i will just i will just print off a a picture of a disney still yeah yeah honestly printing off a picture of a disney still and framing it that's like way more interesting to me like that is so much more like that would be personal and like kind of like creating your own thing but like hit what he makes 
And I, I am also someone who like finds something I like about almost all art, and I don't I know. like his Same. art. No, Same. Like, Same. it's really like yeah, coming from me, it's big yeah. words. It really is. <laughs> and, and cause is very much disliked. I think by like more of the art critic world, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of that is just kind of more like snobbery, honestly. But I, I feel that like what we're talking about with cause, what a lot of other like artists I know who just, dis- <laughs> who dislike cause is very valid where it's just like, especially he's at the level where like he's designing toys, but also probably has people that design toys under his name. And then they're like mass produced and, you know, sold for like up to uh, millions of dollars at fucking Christie's. And I don't know. I just feel like it's, I get why artists design toys. And I think that's really cool. And there's so many artists who are making toys who are like accessible and affordable and like tell really cool visual stories and like would be great to like have in collection in your home. But like these like big seller commercial guys like i'm just not i'm just not here for it and um does not resonate with me no. on literally any level no like, saw saw some cause when we were at the la art show one time mm-hmm. and i remember just being like, like yeah. and also i'm sure it did really well like la art show seems like the perfect place oh. for cause oh yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely oh I, yeah mm, yeah yeah so you know it's it's an interesting element of the art market at large Mm -hmm. and i think it speaks to a lot of like cool things in that adults do like things that feel playful and they do like to collect things you know like we like ooh, i want to get like the set of these themed toys and and all that i think is like cool and valid but just it being wrapped up in the whole like hype beast culture and a lot of the problematic aspects of that that i just talked about i'm like "Mm, you know i feel more more justified in my disdain for cause and um i do think the only thing that like i connect to that i'm like a little more in support of that i don't connect with but like i do have respect for is there is in our generation a huge push for just like like comic-con and like collector culture is big in that way yeah and even though it's not my thing i do look at that and i i enjoy it i'm like it's so great that so many people get to just just be fans of things and get excited about it and so there is some element of like collector culture that i i think is beautiful and i think there is an overlap here yeah you know like it nothing exists in a vacuum um and so i think there is an overlap of just like general excitement about collector culture and this is just another element of that and i would never put that down like i i think it can I mean, if collecting little guys makes you happy, then do it. Then do it because mm-hmm. life is hard. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Take and, enjoyment where you can take yeah, it. Yeah, where you can find it. But yeah, there yeah. there are these other just problematic elements that um, I do think deserve to be looked at. But yeah, yeah. I do just want to like state that and that my disgust of cause has nothing to do with a frustration with collector culture or people no. mm-hmm. enjoying 
enjoying little toys or enjoying yeah. the movies or enjoying Marvel or yeah. whatever. Because, like, you know, I think it's cool in a lot of ways that adults are gravitating towards toys and collecting yeah. toys. Yeah. And that that is not something today that is as shamed as it once was in our society. Because, mm-hmm. like, you look at, like, Japanese culture, there's, like, no stigma about being interested in toys and, mm-hmm. like, cute stuff mm-hmm. and, like, at all. And I, I do feel like in the States, it's like, oh, like, you fucking nerd, you know, like, in your mom's basement. <laughs> like so maybe toxic, why? too. I just, yeah. it's like, <laughs> toys are cool. Yeah, yeah maybe exactly. that's why this seems a little bit, like, gross to us mm-hmm. is because it's kind of... It's trying to be like, but this is the cool version. Yes. But yeah. we made it cool. Like yeah. we made collectibles right. cool and different. Um, and, and it's not like those collectibles. Yeah. Um, yeah, no. Comic-Con's fucking cool. I'm infinitely impressed by people that do cosplay mm-hmm. and yeah. do that whole mm-hmm. world. Like yeah. I'm just it like, this is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so and I'm sure many like designer con that they talk about in this article would be fucking dope yeah. to check out. I'm sure. Um but yeah, it's it's just an it's a whole interesting thing and a lot of food for thought. But um, I just mainly wanted to uh, <laughs> share my grievances. Yeah, I was gonna say air your grievances on cause. <laughs> air my grievances on do that cause. Every now well, then. we we back you up. Thank <laughs> you. No, I'm glad that you did too because I've definitely and I was wondering if we were gonna touch on it in this episode was the that whole the whole designer toys world i think has taken so much of the joy out of toys and has turned it into yeah like a jeff coons fucking yeah. which i hate and mm-hmm. you know it's not new everyone that listens to this podcast knows how we feel about that <laughs> guy. but um yeah i i think that the joy the playfulness is removed yeah um but this is this kind of flows into yeah. where mm-hmm. where you guys are setting me up is, so nicely. Right. <laughs> this it has with been great. It. Here it is. This is the culmination, everybody. <laughs> wow. Look at us. <laughs> Professionals. Um, yeah. So when we did toys, I really tried to think of another topic, but like I couldn't not talk about Beanie Babies. It's Which is largely a conversation where this idea sprouted Honestly, from. Honestly, yeah. We were literally, Jen and I were talking about Beanie Babies because of that documentary the On 90s. Hulu, yeah. The Dark Side of the 90s. Which I mm-hmm. hard, hard, hard recommend. Yeah. Sometime in the it's next It's really good. Yeah, Dark Side of the 90s. Hold up episode on Beanie Babies. Nice. We were talking about Beanie Babies and our relationship to Beanie Babies and then we went off on toys. Then Jen goes, toys, I want to do toys. And she goes deep into toys and then Nat's like, I want to do Beanie Babies. And I was like, well, luckily that's exactly where this started. <laughs> we yeah. do a lot of this in this house where we're like, boom, bam. Bam, bam. <laughs> thinking about this i've been thinking about that <laughs> what are you thinking about <laughs> and so a large thing apparently we've all been thinking about is beanie baby <laughs> right and here we are and i'm kind of gonna go over like 90s pet themed uh, oh yes toys oh man generally but we're starting with oh, beanie man. babies this oh, is the man. starting point oh, they man. were released in 1993 I'm assuming you guys all know what a beanie baby looks like, but just in case, and like, God forbid you're envisioning a beanie boo, because that is same company, but different. Beanie different. Boo. Yeah, you, you know, with the big mm-hmm. glittery oh, eyes. Yeah, Remember yeah, yeah, yeah. Were, that's what they sell now. Didn't you get now. one at the Rainforest Cafe in yeah. Chicago? Yeah. <laughs> Was that a beanie boo? Yeah. 
That's a beanie boo. They don't make beanie babies anymore. Holy crap. And I'll talk about, you know, likely why. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> but Ty Warner's company, uh, Ty Incorporated, makes beanie boos now, which I... There's a beanie yes. boo. There's that beanie boo. Corey just platypus. went into her room to grab her beanie boo. He is a cute. platypus. Um, just quick. Uh, He's bedazzled. We were wow, at the Rainforest Cafe in Chicago, <laughs> and I was on the verge of a mental breakdown. <laughs> and I saw this guy, and I like started crying. And then Natalie was like, "I'll buy it for yeah. you." Like, well, <laughs> you could literally insert any like under ten child into that story yeah. too, and it would still make perfect oh sense. And so I was just like on the verge of tears in Rainforest Cafe, and just so happy to. Him. Yeah. And I was like, do you want me to buy it for you? <laughs> he's and cute. Corey was he's like, very mm-hmm. cute. I he's understood. A cute, he's a the cute appeal. little man. He's got little glittery paws and yeah, big eyes. And his name is Perry. That's very adorable. Um, and I love him. Yeah. And yeah. I love him. Um, but yes, he is not of the OG Beanie Babies. Right. Yeah. No. They've gotten a little glamour. They've got bigger eyes, Beanie Boos. They glitter, the eyes glitter and they tend to be more like flashy, like flashy colors, flashy mm-hmm. glittery. Yep. Anyway. Um, the little children that I They're nannied in college. Disney-ified. Yes, sure, definitely. Sure. Or just like cartoon, like animation. Mm-hmm. It's like that kind of yeah. feel. But yeah, the kids that I nannied in college were obsessed with them. It was like one of the little boy's favorite pastimes that like when his sister was finishing up I mean, whatever she was doing, he would want to go into the little shop next to where we were and mm-hmm. look at the Beanie Boos and then like <laughs> hope that maybe he could convince me that he could get one like every time and I was like no we almost never did but he would he would try <laughs> yeah every single time you gotta try um anyway they're adorable so they're little stuffed we'll go back to beanie babies because that's what we're talking about um little stuffed animals they're filled with plastic beads and so they're at once like flexible and malleable but also a little sturdier than a classic stuffed animal yeah Mm -hmm. they have a very unique feel they make a sound oh yes yeah they Um, flop around a little bit mm -hmm. (laughs) the classic ones tended to be like a one of two styles they would either kind of lay flat on their belly with the legs out um or they would sit up sit upright which were usually like bears rabbits different things Mm -hmm. yeah um the the upright ones the rabbits Mm -hmm. that was a whole moment yeah (laughs) (laughs) and they were a phenomenon and what's wild is apparently they weren't super popular at first like toy stores didn't really get it they weren't ordering um Mm. they were just like another stuffed animal yeah they just didn't understand it and they're, you know, pretty affordable price point, like $5 toy, which, you know, in the 90s was like, not nothing, but like affordable. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. within that same year, like the madness just spread. And it started in Chicago where Ty Warner was based, but it was just like wildfire. People just became obsessed with these creatures and collecting them. And that's where like the real craze comes in. Because I was a child. Yeah. I loved these things. Like I, they were very Me too, easy man. to love as a child. For sure. But I was not interested in collecting them. That is the adult reaction to yes. something like None this. None of us and children were. <laughs> no. Like, but the adults wanted to collect it. And we just wanted to play with exactly. them. And let me tell you. <laughs> How much unresolved trauma I have from my childhood of being a child firmly in the era of Beanie Baby Mania Mm -hmm. and getting Beanie Babies gifted to me from like aunts, aunties that were 
I had at least one aunt who was just huge into toy collection. She was kind of a hoarder and like her closet was like full of Barbies. She was the the Barbie, Mm -hmm. classic Barbie collector. You know, you don't take them out of the box. And then when Beanie Babies came around, it was like, it was perfectly going to be her thing. You could ne- you can't take these tags I was going to say, no, when Corey came though, in right. with hers, I was like, and like any good beanie owner, she still has the tie, <laughs> heart-shaped tag to the ear. So I would get gifted these beanie babies as like a, like a six-year-old. And I would, with the gift, it came with the, the plastic mm-hmm. tag cover so like a case to in, to cover up the tag and then my aunt would also buy me like these like plastic display cases that I was supposed yep. to put them in I was 6 years mm-hmm. old and one time she gave me the kangaroo with the little I had the baby kangaroo. Oh, yeah, okay yeah, the kangaroo and so I loved the kangaroo one day I knew I wasn't supposed to take the tag off but I was a kid and I took the tag off. I just did Fuck it. it. Mm-hmm. I got in this so much trouble. I was in trouble because I took the annoying tag yeah. off of the toy that I wanted to cuddle. Yeah. And it just sucked. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. They were, yeah, they, they were our friends. Like we yeah. didn't like, we just like wanted to have friends. Yeah. And like, but there was this like weird craze that we were like, oh, money? Like this is about money? Yeah. You know? The yeah. adult in my life were like no these are collector's items mm-hmm. and that whole i just toys should not be collector's items <laughs> it I is know. it's such a weird like push and pull relationship like we make these cute little toys they're for kids that's how they get popularized yeah. but then adults swoop in and are like we're gonna get rich off of these. <laughs> That's America, baby. <laughs> and yeah, um, terrible. So <laughs> terrible. just terrible. <laughs> when it comes to like being a child, though, yeah, there's they were small, they're cute, they're easy to bring around with you everywhere. There was the classic size, the smaller ones, and mm-hmm. then there were the larger mm-hmm. size I ones. When they got bigger. Which the larger ones, um, I never really had like any sort of close attachment to. I, don't think I, I had either. this dog. I had this exact dog. Yeah, and how weird is the that picture? One. I know. Oh, um, that's the yeah. Uh, uh, what's his name? Ty Warner is is an interesting. Character. Isn't he yes. kind of like? There's a, a whole freak? book if anyone wants <laughs> yeah. to go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I started researching him, and then I was like, you know. This is getting too weird. I actually don't really want to talk yeah. about him. We're just going to talk about the toys. Character. But there's a whole book out there where we his sister apparently uh, like aired all of his dirty laundry. So if you're curious, go read that book. And mm-hmm. yeah, also uh, there's a lot on the Beanie Baby documentary mm-hmm. episode. I'm sure that person read the book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my my younger brother had the blue elephant um which he nicknamed mr blue and i was actually reading an article earlier that the large the blue elephant peanut is his name but Mm -hmm. again in my household they really were stuffed animals so i'm sure there were some that were like put up high or whatever that were nicer but many of them were detagged and beloved and like whatever and so mr blue was Mm -hmm. mason's like jam but i was just reading that they started with a dark blue color which Mm -hmm. mr blue was Mm -hmm. and then apparently it wasn't very popular so they came out with a lighter blue peanut and that went crazy so but what happened was that the dark blue then became super rare Rare. super special and that is a lot of why 
these became such a collectible craze is that Ty would play with the supply and demand of the Beanie Babies in order to make them scarce and yeah. rare. And it was like ec- it, was, it was economic. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, so, and it worked. Yeah. It worked very well. Yeah, right? it no, did. yeah, he is it a he's worked. a billionaire. <laughs> um, and he would do things like retire Beanie Babies, mm-hmm, which again right. would make them you know more popular. He came out with the uh, Princess Bear, the Princess Diana Bear, yep. the year she died. Oh, wasted wow. no time. Which um, is weird. I'm not. I that's, don't think it's very why tasteful. Is it a, why is yeah. it there? Like, um, yeah, that's wild. It's, yeah. That, w- that was a whole wild thing. Have you guys watched Spencer yet? Because it is a deeply uncomfortable movie. I haven't no, yet. But it's, it, it's well done. Yeah, it, it looks well done. Well done. But it is uncomfortable from start to finish. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, that was just a weird thing. Like Princess Diana dies. Turn in the beanie baby limited edition beanie baby. <laughs> like what? <Yikes>. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. And so these five dollar little animals can be worth thousands and thousands of dollars. You know, at the peak of the beanie baby bubble, they were worth a lot more than they are now. Yeah, now they're not worth it's that a lot. Much yeah, it's you have to have very specific ones to really make money. There are authenticators out there, so of if course. you think that you might have a valuable beanie baby, you can get it authenticated cool. and all of that stuff stuff so look that up i have a very fun moment from our beanie baby conversation on text and i sent a tweet that was stop saying nfts are like beanie babies beanie babies are a physical object you can physically own with a real purpose snuggling being a best friend you can take anywhere (laughs) etc and then you responded they're friends and babies (laughs) (laughs) yeah i stand by my words yeah and i think one of friends and babies (laughs) and one of the brilliance of the beanie babies which i didn't mention like they have a name they have a birthday and yes. they have a little poem yeah. that goes with Each each one. Poem. And I that know. simple little, which is also so why sweet. the tag is valuable. It's not just like keeping the tag on. They actually like, I mean, it's pretty smart. Like the whole concept, yeah. oh, no, the way brilliant. it fits together. Like, and even just the simplicity of like you potentially sharing a birthday with a beanie baby oh, and stuff. I, I mean, the so excitement bad. that can come, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's yeah. simple, but you like, you check the tag. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just in case. You just it's hope. Birthday. Anyway, I was so I was so into it. I was. Oh, yeah. yeah I had a obsessed. lot of them. And it also like I was just always stuffed animals like well, stuffed animals were my Pets. favorite. Something to exactly. care for. Something to care for. It was always stuffed yeah. animals. Yeah. Always, always. Yes. I've got my, my puppy sitting next to me right now that I got for Christmas when I was seven. And he's still my best friend. Yeah. I have, <laughs> um, <laughs> Peter was pulled out of a dumpster <laughs> when I was seven years old. We'll post pictures because I the... didn't let my parents <laughs> sleep for two days. Yeah. And then, oh, really quickly. God, there's just so much. The mcdonald's yeah craze which just what a inflated. moment so there's you know the, the regular bean size beanie babies which are already small and then they made them smaller Even smaller <laughs> although can i just say that i remember as a child feeling um i didn't like the mcdonald's beanie babies because i didn't like how they felt yeah they didn't Tabby have the beans. oh yeah they were made of like a felt yeah as opposed mm-hmm. to like the regular beanie babies i felt were really like silky yeah. kind of and i i didn't like that and they didn't have the weight 
right? Yeah, because they're smaller. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like, not this about isn't it. it. No, but no, no. Now those are actually worth. They're more. They're worth yeah, more money. Those <laughs> in themselves became collector items because that was one thing on the documentary. Like there was one time where a truck full of the McDonald's yeah. little beanie babies, <laughs> like like crashed or something and yeah like all people were like running in the freeway fell into the freeway and people were getting out of their cars to scoop up mcdonald's beanie babies off the freeway like, oh like I, it was like it was such yeah. in lines people lined up at mcdonald's i wonder like, how many people have so died absurd. over beanie babies well okay at least some at least some. yeah, yeah. um we, just this last picture that i included in the doc if you guys hadn't it, looked at it already which is so heart. famous it's yes you guys you've probably seen it yeah. but it is a couple divorcing and they are kneeling on the courtroom floor divvying up beanie babies that breaks my heart (laughs) it's it's a time capsule photo as someone who has been through like breakups where you have to divvy up your stuff like that shit sucks it is so heart-wrenching and to have to separate your thing like you're already breaking in court in front of people it's it's stuffed animals you're already going through the separation and we have to separate our stuff and especially like yeah like sentimental objects like your beanie baby collection (laughs) and there's a good chance this was a little embarrassing like yeah like did it feel great to do in front of other people you know i'm pretty sure it was embarrassing or not the audience but like the people watching in the background all of them have like a hand up to their mouth just like Like, what yeah yeah Yeah, everyone's a little bit like this is really happening right now yeah it's crazy it's crazy well um what a a time and then i'll just like really quickly go through these next two because it's kind of just like the natural evolution of you know little pets and tamagotchis oh god uh, i know or gigapets tamagotchi was the japanese uh version gigapets were made by uh hasbro hasbro thank you Mm. i loved Um, gigapet bandai is the name of the company that made tamagotchis but those were the original so i do want to give them the credit of being a a portable digital pet and the idea The idea supposedly came from a commercial where a little boy wanted to take his pet turtle in the car with him on like a road trip or a family vacation. (laughs) And the mom was like, no, put your turtle back. And this toy designer was like, what if you could bring your pet in the car? (laughs) Um, And the Tamagotchi was born. I currently have a Tamagotchi on my keychain. At this point, I... It, it doesn't work like it stopped working because I stopped taking care of it so it's purely yeah. aesthetic yep. <laughs> anytime someone brings it up I'm like yeah it's an aesthetic just choice just for looks mm-hmm. yeah but my mom found it at work my mom works at Walmart and she just brought it home because she's just like you were crazy about these things mm-hmm. and I was I had as a kid I had tons on this insane keychain I had Tamagotchis and Gigapets together mm-hmm. I remember nice. I had at least one that you could take care of like seven pets at once Mm -hmm. like i was overwhelmed with digital pets Mm -hmm. basically as a child it was like such a thing and i have like distinct memories (laughs) it's a very good Corey. i know (laughs) (laughs) i need all the pets and i need to take care of every pet they're really stressing me out but i love them (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly and i have distinct memories there was this tiny little park by my apartment and it didn't even have much to it but i have a distinct memory of 
walking in circles in this park just trying to take park. care of all my digital pets as mm-hmm. i just like did loops in this yeah. park as a seven-year-old eight-year-old mm-hmm. um so they were they were huge to me and yeah giga pets tamagotchis there was something uh deep deep within me yeah. with these toys like it was it was big and i also was big into neopets like mm-hmm. neopets was like a oh, huge yeah. thing mm-hmm. yeah. i loved the just like taking care of a million babies <laughs> And the, I mean, so if you're not familiar with the Tamagotchi, I also I'm loving going over these because they're so baked into like who right. I am. Mm-hmm. But I'm also recognizing we have younger listeners who like I know that's I crazy. be familiar with these. You're um, right. That's crazy. Well, y'all are yeah. gonna learn. And today. I love this is like my favorite thing to pass y'all are on. Gonna learn. So um, a Tamagotchi, it's like a little egg shaped. Uh, Device, friend. <laughs> friend. friend. Um, it's on a, a baby and a friend. <laughs> it is also a baby and a friend. Um, they're actually meant to be little aliens, so yes. they communicate in their own language, and they just kind of like do their little thing. The original Japanese version, when your pet would not be attended to, when you would neglect them, they do die. There's consequences in, with this toy, which toy designers felt were very important because they said otherwise it just doesn't like hold up to like what it's supposed to be like kids kind of need that that little dose of reality i guess of like it needs to be cared for and if it's not something happens it will Um, die yeah so it was supposed to sprout wings and fly away in the american version which just looked like angel wings so it still just looked (laughs) like it was dying um because it was supposed to like go back to its home Planet. Oh shit! Yeah, um, I remember. Na- yeah, I remember that happening and just being like, "Oh, they tried to die." No, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just think it has wings. Yeah, so, it just went to heaven. Exactly. Well. <laughs> um, but originally, like the game had no pause button, and so kids were like feeling the need to take their pets to school. Yeah, um, they were getting trouble. in trouble for having you know th- this out, or would ask their parents to take care of them, which is what I did. Dan ended up taking care of my Tamagotchi <laughs> for That's me when really I was sweet. a kid. <laughs> um, kept it alive for me for a little while. And then they ended up, yeah, putting in a pause button so that kids could mm-hmm. you know, live their lives and not be slave to this little right. screaming right. egg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's just, it's, so interesting and it, it, this one died out pretty quickly i would think it was a short excitement phase for that okay next came in oh. 1998 the, another one the, the furby oh, yeah. guys <laughs> oh um, man the furby i i was uh, my furby scared me me too i really I, didn't like them and and people kept buying them for me as a kid and mm-hmm. i was like oh man like, i was team furby i liked my little furby. i was just I very afraid of them really, really i love sticking one. my little finger in his mouth yeah to clean it. Oh, <laughs> yeah when it like open he'd open his little beak yeah, yeah. and um, then he'd be like oh no listen <laughs> listen listen there were definitely there was a part of me that wanted a furby really badly and my mom while pregnant waited in line at toys r us not overnight but like late time. to mm-hmm. get the furby for yeah. me and i got it and was terrified of it <laughs> yep um i didn't like the language it spoke it freaked me out i had <laughs> seen gremlins yeah um as a like six-year-old with shit. my dad's side of the family oh, prior man. to and my mom was pissed because like it really did a number and i mean if you look at furbies and gremlins no, they did a they did a gremlin furby yeah they well, did they well it's made, almost it's almost the same yeah. exact creature it they looks made a so so furby similar that was 
gremlins. Yes, like, exactly. Too, that's just too scary. And so, <laughs> yeah, the horror aspect really did not work for me. I was scared of mine. I remember because they go to sleep, so you'd like put a hat over its head and then it would like stop talking. You're like, okay, thank God. <laughs> just, like, See, and then the hat would move and you'd hear it in the middle of the night and like wake up. I no. had another one of the, like another one of my favorite childhood stuffed animals was a gizmo from Gremlins though. So I actually had like a very Yeah, fond, but you love horror and I, I yeah, this is in you. I am a I scaredy cat. Of I don't I like this. Like, a fond relationship with gremlins too mm-hmm. like the little little cute little weird guys yeah <laughs> they fucking scare me <laughs> but i think that that probably we can move on to other people's favorite nostalgic toys furby has been like a big meme mm-hmm. right especially because people have been um like reimagining furby mm-hmm. and right. making it into this sort of like hellish sort of monster creature yeah the long yeah, furby, the long <laughs> furby <laughs> or like yeah, yeah. Those are freaking. and those are crazy there's one on the fridge i <laughs> yeah. have that <laughs> yeah um anyway so yeah. it, it furby lives on contemporarily mm-hmm. for sure in like a new way mm-hmm. and the thing is like yeah i don't disagree like they were always creepy like there wasn't they weird they weird. speak furbish they learn english as Furb- you have them yeah. yep yes. yep like, That's they were nuts, they were always a little like weird and creepy and there's something know? gratifying to like teaching something like raising it mm-hmm. like th- i i get the concept i it was just bad timing for me with gremlins yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. but i never i never had one growing up but i had plenty of fucking freaky toys <laughs> i could see Anne being like no, no. <laughs> i don't no think so that, but i asked for a ventriloquist doll oh and she 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 Good Lord, Jenny. That's way worse than a Furby. You asshole. I mean, you guys are me. I was a spooky ass kid. Uh, Yeah, that's Um, true. Yeah, I wanted a ventriloquist doll, but I wanted wanted a girl, and my mom could not find a a female ventriloquist doll, so she found a, a little cowboy and took him to a doll repair place, and my mom said it was horrifying, and this woman talked to all her dolls. Oh, no. And, um soda wig <laughs> oh my god i love it wow on this uh, boy ventriloquist doll and put a little dress on her and i named her curly and she sat in my room every oh, night boy. and i love never it. thought a thing about it <laughs> did you ever learn to i tried i like saw some videos i mainly just like used her as just like a, a, a doll larger doll yeah. but yeah i loved her loved her wow yeah when we she were going to go over favorite shit, toys, I really did not expect this to I go know, there. I know. Wow. Well, yeah, I loved Way my to fairy toys. Those were little fairy dolls. Those were do beautiful. Re- yeah. Do you remember the little fairies that you'd put on the thing and then they fly? Yeah. Those were I so whimsical. Those are. Yeah. I think those are still a thing. I still would get hope those. so. And yeah, you put them on the little propeller thing yeah. and then they would fly so their little cool. wings. Ah, uh, Yes. Our favorite toys. I'm glad that we were able to talk about some of these nostalgia items and also just like the craze. I mean, there was just so Mm. much craze. The Beanie Babies, the Tamagotchis. It's so funny because now, I mean, my favorite toys as a kid were Polly Pockets. And then I remember that they changed. (laughs) They changed the Polly Pockets because kids were choking on them because I don't know, I guess kids just wanted to had to eat the tiny Polly Pockets. Mm -hmm. And I do remember that moment when the Polly Pockets changed and suddenly I was just sad about it. But you know, now they're so expensive. 
they have gone up in value so much. And I had a bunch of Polly Pockets when I was a kid and my mom just like got rid of them after I moved out and I'll never get over it. Another big <laughs> one of mine was Littlest Pet Shop. Oh yeah, those the are cute. Littlest mm. Pet Shop was yes. my jam. And Pound Puppies. Yes, I have oh, Pound Puppies too. I love All of my pound toys puppies. were just just babies and friends. So yeah. like, that's all they were. Pound puppies were my Polly Pockets. Like yeah. I love I the know. tiny animals. I love oh them. my god! Pound puppies, littlest pet shop. But I think you know, like it's it's interesting because toys are, as we've discussed, they just they undeniably are shaped by culture, but shape culture because they shape humans. And, you know, our reality of toys in the 90s is is not the reality some of our younger listeners had. Right, right. And it's definitely not the reality future, you know, yeah. generations is going to have. You know, it's something that almost like bonds generations, I think. Because For it's sure. like our childhood Dude, had yeah. these like similarities, you know, and that's that's how we became who we are now. And, you know, there's there's no getting rid of that. It's deep in our subconscious, you know. And, you know, and I do I love seeing like with younger kids, you know, I <laughs> Uh, sometimes I get a little jealous about how like creative and generative I think some of the like younger generations are going to be because of the things they play with daily. Totally. Toys play as ritual, toys as ritual ceremony. Let's bring it back. Let's do yeah. it. <laughs> I want to play. I want to play too. And I love toys. And I'm really glad that we talked about toys today because <laughs> at the end of the day, we all just love a little guy yep. yes. that we get to take care of and yes. manipulate in our imaginations. And I don't, I think that's an innately human impulse and uh, we need to prioritize play. Yes. Yeah. So 100%. prioritize play. Don't buy into the hype. Don't spend $180,000 on some cause cause toy. Yeah. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah. I would not recommend it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but you do you, I guess. Yeah. At the end of the day. You know, at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyways, folks, this has been fun. I'm glad that we're all back together again. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, let's, uh, we're um, going to be hopefully being able to record together more often that would be fun and um i know that uh everyone is probably thrilled to (laughs) have us putting out this fun new episode so i love you all our listeners check out our patreon please uh like and subscribe and uh share episodes you know and uh and yeah donate to the patreon it helps us do this to make it for you all yes also we're going to mexico oh my Mm -hmm. god (laughs) we're going to mexico (laughs) and you can come with us which is a very cool thing uh there's a link in the show notes there's links all over our instagram it's a link on our website very easy to find the details of the trip but we will be going to mexico we have a really great group already and there are still a handful of spots left so hop on there get on it and we can travel mexico city and oaxaca together and see some see some sights and eat some food and make some art and make some food and have an adventure and it'll yeah it'll be great so look into it check it out we love you thank you you guys we love you so much 
Thank you. Bye. Bye. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.